Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga creator episode. My name is Adam, and today I'm talking with the talented individuals behind, or well, some of the talented individuals behind the Dragonlance Companion, available now on DMs Guild. And there's, of course, a link in the description below before we get into the conversation proper. I just want to say uh, thank you to the members of this channel and invite you, those, those of you who are not yet members, to perhaps consider it. There's also a link below as well for that. So thank you both so much for joining me, uh, Jimmy and Matt. They are from Splinterverse Media, and again, Dragonlance Companion, they're right in the middle that you're looking at, uh, is the product that, the most recent product that they've released. How are you both doing today? Great, doing thanks great. for having us. I'm very happy to have you here to talk about this. Uh, it should be clear that I'm a Dragonlance nerd, and so it's nice to meet other people who share a passion in some level uh, with mine and the audience, of course. And so for those of you who are watching this live, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts about this product or Splinterverse Media's other projects, please put them up in the chat. And when we have an opportunity, we'll try to bounce off of those uh, as uh, the conversation, you know, sort of follows its natural course. What I'd like to do before we dive into this, um, John, thanks so much for joining live. Yes, this is, um, this is, I don't know how you guys refer to it. Maybe, Jimmy, let me ask you, is this an official release? How does that work yeah so there's an interesting distinction you have sort of homebrew things that people make you have fan content that people make we like to call this a third party publication because it is done by professionals but it has the official permission of wizards of the coast through the dm's guild agreements to use the setting mm -hmm. so it's kind of this hybrid but definitely a professional uh piece and i think a lot of the times when you're looking at these types of products actually seeing samples of it rests any sort of uh, concerns that one may have about whether or not it's professional or not because this looks like a straight up professional piece not something that you know someone put together with a word doc and you know just released it on a, as a pdf yeah, there, there's a, a big misconception around third-party publications. I mean, when you think there, there is a, a long history of amazing third-party publications. I mean, the first fifth edition books were done by Cobalt Press. Uh, talking about Dragonlance, you had Sovereign Press yeah. that was started by Margaret Weiss. Uh, all of those are third-party publications. Yep. And uh, we're just kind of trying to continue in a tradition of high-quality third-party supplements. That's great. Well, you're not new to the scene. You've been producing content and releasing it on DMs Guild for a little bit. Uh, what, you know, what made you get into this, um, this industry to begin with? Yeah, so for me... You know, I was in the middle of the pandemic and I was sort of isolated and thinking, what interest can I explore while I'm trapped in my house, right? <laughs> and so almost two years ago now, I just started thinking, well, you know, I love D&D &D and, and I have this past experience in, in real world publishing and marketing and things like that. And what can I do with those two things? Can I put them together? And I started seeing some of the things that were happening on DMs Guild and drive Through RPG and some of these marketplaces. And I thought, oh, well, I could do that. I've got these skills. And so I just started doing that. And I found Matt quickly um, in that process. And we teamed up to work on now seven books. Wow. And the goal is to really just differentiate ourselves in the marketplace with, with our pillars, you know, including quality, balance, creativity, 
and inclusivity in our in our products. And so, uh, so far, it's it's been just a lot of fun, and we're just very blessed to be successful with this. That's great. So you had mentioned that you had seven previous publications. Is this the first time you're dipping your toe in Dragonlance? Well, we kind of went there with our Fizban's Vault of Draconic Secrets. So, uh, you know, Fizban is a, is a big part of that, and right. and uh, even even the the Wizards book, you know, the Fizban's Treasure of Dragons, kind of dipped into that a little bit. So, uh, we we definitely went there, and part of that is because Matt is such a huge fan of Fizban <laughs> that um, some of the ideas for that book came from Matt. That's great. Yeah, I uh, I started reading Dragonlance when I was a wee tot, uh, before I even really had started uh, getting into TTRPGs. I just saw it as a fantasy series, and then uh, discovered later on, oh, this isn't just a fantasy series. This is uh, an entire setting where I can create my own adventures. And I connected very early on with Fizban as a character and just kind of continued from there. I, I would say, if I'm being 100% honest, it is either my favorite or second favorite setting. And it flips depending on the day when you talk to me, whether it's uh, Dragonlance or Planescape, but it's always one of those two. Nice. Yeah, I just finished reading the um, uh, uh, Slaying the Dragon or something book about the secret history of TSR, and the author was really adamant about clarifying that Planescape was the best campaign setting ever released by TSR full stop that, of course, didn't sell very well because it was at the end of TSR's life cycle. But like, it's one of those campaigns where I had friends that were into it that were trying to draw me into it, but I was like... I'm a diehard Dragonlance guy. I don't really want to go anywhere else. Like, just let me live here for a bit and you guys can continue your adventures elsewhere. So yeah. uh, I can understand that for sure. <laughs> and that's the that's a thing that is important to say is that we're uh, here to help people tell the best stories that mm -hmm. they want to tell at the table, regardless of the the setting. That's, that's always been part of what Splinterverse does. But if we're putting out a Dragonlance book, we want to be able to facilitate the the best games in the Dragonlance setting yeah. that, you know, anyone can have at their table. So there's a lot that you all offer in this Dragonlance companion. Um, it And it, it sort of seems to work pretty harmoniously with what Watsi has already released uh, with Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Uh, nothing really is like dramatic that I noticed as as far as like reshifting rules or refocusing on on how specific classes work or anything like that. Um, what type of lead time do you need to start having in order to create a publication that's going to be available on DM's Guild as soon as it is approved to be available? Like, how long have you been working on this? So this one over six months, and and to answer your question, we want as much lead time as possible. So if 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 Wizards is listening and you want to give us the heads up, we're here to take it. Yeah. But um, yeah, we started 
officially the day after the announcement. We put out our open call for pitches, but we had been working on it. We knew this was probably coming, so we had some things that Matt and I were working on uh, in advance of this. So we had even a little bit more lead time before that. But we also, when they make those announcements, we look at what they're doing and we say, how can we complement what they're doing? We don't wanna just compete with them. If they had released a box set like they did with Spelljammer, we probably wouldn't have done a companion book because it would have been competing in so many ways with what they were doing. But because they chose to do an adventure, we thought, okay, there's a lot of opportunity for us to do our companion style book because this is our second sort of companion style book mm -hmm. and really help people feel like with those two books, you get that complete picture. You're getting lots more player options because as we've seen, Wizards is kind of doing one subclass, you know, in a book or a couple subclasses, they're not doing all of them. And then some people that main certain classes are feeling left out, right? So we're trying to think strategically and say, how can we just dovetail with these releases and really make you feel like, hey, if I just get these two, I'm good. I can get more stuff. But if I have these two, I have a solid foundation. Right. I mean, you have a lot of people contributing to this. I mean, you have some really great artists. You got some great writers, uh, game designers. I mean, at what point like, do you just have like this sort of envelope full of names that you can reference? Or, or do, you, do you like outsource and just like reach out to people? Or like, how do you get the submissions in order to create this single volume? Yeah, so... As we've done seven now, we have built up a repertoire of people that we do go back to based on you know past performance and talent, but we like to do open calls occasionally. This was one of the books where we did open calls. Then we take we give, give that a period, we take in all the submissions and then Matt and I review them and we really make those selections. And so there was quite a few new people we hadn't worked with before on this book. And so you just kind of iterate and, and you get to work with some people again. It also depends on the project. Some people are really talented at maybe just doing subclasses or maybe just doing adventures. And so even if you go back to them in the future for something else, they may say, ah, oh, I just want to stick to adventures, right? So you really do need a big circle of, of contacts to, to pull something like this off. Right. So I always kind of struggle with the idea of anytime you undertake a project, my background's in advertising, uh, understanding the brand that you're working on is paramount. You have to understand the tone, the voice, the, 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 just the general vibe of what it is you're producing for. So what were some of those cues for you when you were either um, receiving submissions uh, for work and while you were sort of uh, working on editing and putting the book together in its form, how were you trying to maintain that essence of Dragonlance? And, and I have to be very fair here, everyone sees Dragonlance differently. Everyone has a different vibe of Dragonlance depending on when you started getting involved in it and just your overall experience. And every single version of that is acceptable. I'm just curious what yours was when you got into it and how you sort of maintained that vision. Yeah, so part of that was was Matt's job because I am someone who likes all the settings and so I've, I've never gone super deep in any of the settings. I've gone enough to know the setting and to like the setting um, and I definitely crash coursed a lot of your videos while I was working <laughs> on this book so that I could deepen my knowledge, but I recognize that I'm not, you know, as deep of a Dragonlance fan as, as other people. And so Matt, I knew was, and so I leaned on them a lot for that. But what I find in terms of design 
is, and this has happened with other settings that we've worked with, is that it's great to have a mix of people with varying levels of deepness in terms of their connection to the setting. Because what ends up happening is you get somebody like Matt who has tons of experience and can give you these deep cuts of, of references to things in Dragonlands and to help you stay on track of, oh, that's that's going overboard, that's, that's against canon, things like that. But then you get these new people that have just a light connection to Dragonlands that maybe think outside the box. Mm -hmm. And when you combine all that together, because we do have 19 designers working on this, you get such a great mix because ultimately we want all of the books to have a mixture of the expected and the unexpected and so that combination to me has proven out to lead to that in, in our past works and this one I think as well but I think Matt could probably best answer kind of how you know the feeling that we were trying to keep in terms of the the canon and the lore and all of that yeah I mean yeah the the biggest thing that I did whenever I knew that Dragonlance was going to be a thing which uh to to harken back to your previous question of when when it started kerneling in my mind, uh, it was when the UA came out uh, that had yeah. Dragonlance races in it. That was kind of like my my go button, so to speak. <laughs> so uh, I went back and I read the original trilogy. And I, I didn't have time to go back as far as I wanted and to read, like, all of the in-between novels. Right. Uh, but I went back, read the original trilogy, and I said, okay, this is my North Star. When I am looking at all of these submissions and when I'm looking at material uh, in the process of editing it and making it into its best form because that that's what an editor is at the at the very base you're you know taking the the words that the writers give you and make them as good as you can yeah uh and my north star in that process was would this fit thematically with the original set like one of one of the things that we did was uh, we did the herald items, mm -hmm. and the herald items used the piety system from Theros. Obviously, that's not something that is directly connected with Dragonlance, but thematically it fit. Mm -hmm. Whenever we were looking at oh. These are items that are created by the the connections to the gods. Like all all of these things fit together and would be welcome, I feel like, at uh, in a Dragonlance campaign. Yeah. And that that was really the the process was trying to figure out what would best fit into, the campaign setting when you're you know running at the table i have to say the the piety system that you all developed i it, it was one of the the sort of uh gold stars that i i sort of put in my notes i was really impressed with that i mean one of the standout features of fifth edition for me personally is the faction system and i know that's taken from uh probably planescape to be quite honest you know after we already mentioned it but um I like 
that it's a, it's an inclusion in fifth edition, though I, I've never seen anyone actually use it before uh, some other people put it in their source book. But seeing the piety system and knowing that it is very similar in spirit to the faction system, it immediately connected with me. And, and, and I personally, I'm a big role playing fan. The game mechanics are less important than actually the storytelling aspect for me as a dungeon master and, and even as a player when I get the opportunity. So when I see something like a piety system that leans heavily on the connection between an individual character and their deity and knowing that the growth of that connection can then spur rewards and then you actually get to see results from actually role-playing your character correctly... I mean, that's that's as good as it gets for a role player, in my opinion. I mean, so... and that's 100% what the goal is. Uh, I, I am very much a, a, a numbers person, mm -hmm. but I am a role player at heart. And I think that role-playing games, TTRPGs, are at their best when the mechanics enhance the story. And I think that, that we were able to bring the piety system in in a way where the mechanics were making, they, they were a harmony mm. to the, the role playing. They weren't working against it. They were helping it. And I think that's, that's, that's the top for me. Yeah. And, and, and even though we have the Herald items, the piety mechanics are all there so if you want to have it result in some other reward or some other punishment you've got all the things you need there to make that happen so it was, it was really exciting to to put that together yeah i always sort of balance between two schools of thought when it comes to introducing new rules is i don't want it too overdeveloped because then there's no real room for wiggling as a dungeon master and to sort of extrapolate it to different you know, different forms. On the other hand, I want it developed enough so I really understand the basic core of what it's supposed to mean. And I think you guys did a really wonderful job of, of, of walking that tightrope with the piety system. I have a criticism. I was a little upset you didn't extrapolate that same thing out to the Order of High Sorcery or the different Knights Orders that you featured in this and instead went the feet direction. Um, I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm actually more curious at this moment about upon receiving um, work from uh, developers, do you guys game test their work or how do you go through the selection process of saying this is good enough? This isn't quite there yet. Like, how do you balance that? It's it's a long process. I, I think a lot of a lot of the designers that work with us for the first time, it can be very in, intimidating and um, intense. But what my overall philosophy is, is that I want people to read the book and want to buy another Splinterverse book. Mm -hmm. So it's super critical to me that everything is balanced, that it's not a pain in the neck for the DM. I don't want them cursing us and throwing the book and saying no more <laughs> Splinterverse stuff, right? So right. there's a lot of stuff we we do. Sometimes it's play testing. Sometimes it's it's sharing it. We have a private Discord server where we're working on the book, so we put stuff out, and all the designers can can give information on some of the drafts after it's gone through uh, us working directly with the with the designer. Then it goes to the larger group of designers, and they can weigh in. But you know, Matt's been 
a DM for for over 20 years. So so that comes in handy as well. I mean, we've got a lot of different ways. You know, when you have 19 designers, you have them looking at it. You have play testing in some cases. Then you have the DM weighing in. I mean, we're coming at it from all angles and and we're we're just open to feedback. We're we're both pretty straightforward people. I mean, if if the goal is to make it the best it can be, then then we're here for it. And I I approach editing like it's life or death. Every every section to me, I want it to be somebody's favorite section. Right. And and so I take it like it's going to be life or death if, if we don't get it right. And if you do that with every section of the book, then you're going to get messages like we get, which is, oh, I like this part or I like that part. And, and there's not really a consistent everybody's favorite part is this one part. So, yeah. so far, so good. I mean, I got to say, I, I, I've... Uh... As a Dragonlance fan, you're always faced with the reality that depending on who's writing for it, and these are, you know, from TSR to Wizards of the Coast and all the different game designers that have been involved in the process, there is always some sort of changing in, like, either the lore or specific characters or timelines or events. Even the geography has altered oops, um, over the course of... Uh, over Dragonlance's development. And so trying to distill that down into one logical like presentation seems to be a near insurmountable task. What you all did with the, um, not just the, um, like the gods of Kryn section, I thought you did a brilliant job, of course, you know, introducing that uh, piety system, um, but also the river of time uh, section that you added into this. I thought you did such a wonderful job with that. Uh, it's so easy to be confused about the concept of time travel in any given universe, fictional or real. I mean, it's it's just something that a lot of people don't really have the patience to try to wrap their head around. And the way that you approached it was true to Dragonlance, but clear enough to be understood by anyone who just wants to get a cursory idea of what the river of time is and time travel means. If you are going to travel the river of time, are you going to screw stuff up, you know, in the process of it? And Dragonlance has very specific rules, and they're not always in the same place. And you all found them, you distilled them, and you presented them in a very easy-to-understand manner. For someone that's just a huge fan of the setting, I really appreciated that. Because you don't see it anywhere else. Yeah, when when that came in as a submission from Matt Daly, it was, you know, a light bulb for us because we were fans of the old Chronomancer books and and things like that, right? And and so it just seemed like such a natural fit and 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 Matt is a really talented writer. And so when you read that section, it just rolls off the tongue and we felt the same way, you know, in the, in the drafts of about how it was easy to understand and consume and we we made some suggestions to just add a little bit more for uh, uses outside of even Dragonlance, mm -hmm. because we, we do want that benefit beyond the setting that we're working with. But, uh, you know, Matt also contributed a lot of items so that you could act on this desire to time travel and spells that, that connect to time travel. So it was important to us to make sure we had not only the, the sort of advice and suggestions, but then some some actual mechanics to implement it, you know, like the time reaver spell. And we really worked hard to make sure that that spell was balanced, did not drive a DM crazy, because you can get real OP with time travel, right? Oh, and yeah. so we, we, we really spent a lot of hands on, on that. 
Um, just just saying, what what are we going to do here to make sure this is not something where the DM throws our book across the room? Uh, you know, going back to the gods, because I always like to go back to the gods, uh, you had specifically called out chaos and the high god. And that was a development that didn't happen until War of Souls. And even then it was a little bit fuzzy and they sort of reneged some little bits and pieces of it. I really like that you guys spent some time explaining, no, 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 this is the cosmology. And it starts with these two sort of insane characters and they sort of span out from there. It's easy to, to think as a sort of um, generic role player, but just a Dragonlance fan that, well, you have your seven gods in each of the different alignments and that's kind of it. But really there's a mommy and a daddy and that mommy and daddy are in the form of like literal chaos <laughs> in one hand, Ionthus as it's called, and then there's the high god. And there's no clear real structure to either of them. You know, we see a sort of avatar version in Summer of Chaos, but like other than that, they're not really like spelled out at all. But you guys took some time and you put it together. And I really, just as a fan, appreciate that you included it with all of the other gods to give a nice, clear, concise presentation of the cosmology of Krim because it can get confusing and it can get muddled but it's nice to see it all in one place. Yeah, it's a bit scary because you don't know what Wizards of the Coast is thinking. Are they going to retcon something? Are they going to remove something, right? And so we just we just had faith. Yeah. You know, pun intended. But we you had faith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you did well. I mean, I got to, you know, tip my cap to you. Um what was your plan with this uh, on release? Did you did you get to the page count you wanted with all of the different additions, uh, you know, added to the campaign? Were you were there some that you just couldn't get developed appropriately in time, or like how did it land for you producing this? It actually grew um, partly because so we didn't start with the God section in there at all. It was not part of the original budget. It was not part of the original pitches, but one of my tasks as as i'm going through this process is to just sort of check with my gut and say what is this book missing what what do i feel like it really needs to take it to the next level and as i was reading through the drafts that were coming in i just kept seeing all these awesome references to the pantheon and i thought we've got to do something with this. We've got to make sure that the players have something that they can refer to for the Pantheon and then it evolve from there with the piety and the herald items. So, mm -hmm. so day one, that was not part of the plan, but it seems to be one of people's most beloved parts. So I'm, I'm glad I listened to my gut on that. What about the other sections? I mean, did you, are, are you comfortable where you landed or did you wish that you had more in there? I mean, was there some that just had to hit the cutting room floor? We we're pretty good about not cutting stuff because I just I'm I'm okay going over budget a little bit if it gets what we want done, mm -hmm. what we want in the players' hands, what we want them to enjoy. And and yeah, we didn't really have to cut anything. Um and we got everything we wanted. Certainly if we had Hasbro's money, we would have done multiple volumes <laughs> and, and probably twice as big of a book, right? Right. But um yeah, for what we were trying to accomplish, yeah, we didn't have to cut much, and um, it was it would be just words or sentences that we cut really. Um, yeah. What about art submissions? I mean, was this something that you struggled to get, or did you just have you know a, a handful of names that are just really solid producers for you? Um, 
there's some people I've been working with on a top secret project that was in the works before this. And so really? I said, Hey, what do you think about Dragonlance? And it turned out they were, they were fans of it. So I was able to pull some of them in and then get some, some other new folks in the mix and, and uh, yeah, just a variety, 25 different artists total. But um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where networking is everything in this business. And so just, just really trying to um, always be on the lookout for, for new artists. And so there were some first timers that we worked with in here and then some people that, that we've worked with on a top secret project as well as past books. Yeah. Uh, the the art in this is fantastic. The the bits of maps that you have throughout the course of this are just great. Uh, I, I was really impressed with all of that. But this isn't just here's some classes, here's some spells, here's some information about Dragonlance. You actually give a lot of adventure seeds and actually some like straight up adventures in this. Um, do you feel like you're giving a little bit too much out there in the same volume? Did you ever think about splitting it up? Yeah, I we could. I just feel like there are so many books out there that are going to be just one thing. And what we want is this to be like a comprehensive supplement where you get a little bit of everything. And one of the reasons we have the appendix on the, the, the adventure hooks is that we want that player facing content to also be useful for the DMs. And so by giving those adventure hooks, you can turn that player facing content into NPCs or, or just even full blown adventures or encounters. But yeah, I mean, we could do it separately. It's just, we want to sort of have that wizard's model where our books have just so much in it that you have to have it. There's, there's something in there for everybody. All right. I want to come back to the pin that I had put in the feats with the nightly orders. <laughs> now this is just me being a grumpy old man, but why did you go that route rather than, you know, the reputation route similar to what you did with piety? I think I can, answer yeah. that one pretty easily with the fact that we saw what Watsi was doing anyway. And the the number one goal is for it to rhyme mm -hmm. with what Watsi creates. Right. So it was a choice that was made for us. Uh, and we just continued down the road as was previously paved. Right. Uh, I, I am not one that's going to sit here and, uh, tell different DMs, oh, you know, at your table, Takesis should be an aspect of Tiamat. Right, right. I, you know, I, I am there to provide the best that I can with the tools that I have. Mm -hmm. And... That's, that's been my like main focus is to not directly contradict the mechanics that Watsi will put out, mm -hmm. but to also suggest like not to spoil anything, but the entire tier one adventure that we have in the book is about the Towers of High Sorcery. It's about accompanying a young mage yeah. like that that's that's there and there is nothing stopping a, a dm that has care for uh those traditions 
to put in a requirement of, oh, you can say that you get this feat, but we have to have it be part of the role play that you're going through this process. Right. And having that latitude available to those DMs was really important. Yeah, I think that's always the the struggle. And it's something that I just see at the table on a regular basis, which is why I, I've brought it up. You know, I've been role-playing since like 40 years. <laughs> it's been, you know, <laughs> nearly 40 years. I should be fair. I'm not that old. Um, but uh, like it's rules as written in most groups or it's straight up homebrew in other groups. But to sort of mix the two, it gets contentious when you have players coming in and out of different campaigns or different games. Um, and the expectation that you can always fall back on is, of course, rules is written. And so when you True. do have a DM coming in and saying, look, I know this is what it says, but I want to roll it like this way. You can, and I have, lost players because of that. Um, and so, one, there has to be a nice repertoire between the Dungeon Master and the players. That's understandable in every single gaming group ever. And we've all had groups, presumably, where that hasn't been the best. Um, but ultimately, you want to make sure that there's a base understanding. And so I, I always come from the position of, if you're going to put it in the book in a specific way, then for people to step outside of that is the exception. The rule is the literal rule in the book. Um, I'm totally fine with stepping out of it. But when I saw that implemented in the UA... Um, I was stunned because instead of focusing on a journey for a character that, again, come from a role-playing background, coming from a role-playing perspective of you need to earn the right to be this new thing, you have to go through this process, especially with Mages of High Sorcery, you know, of course, Wizards of High Sorcery, um, you have to go through the test of High Sorcery. That is a, a, a purely distilled role-playing experience, as you guys have included in this. When it's instead just presented as solely as a feat, then it becomes less special and less important to role play because the player has already done it. They're like, no, I just took the feed. I get to choose a feed. That's what I choose. And I've already done it. Why do I have to walk through it again? Um, it's the, it's the presumption that, that once it's there, it's choosable and it's already done. And of course you can always step outside of that. Of course you can always customize that. But again, if it's presented one way, most people are going to take it that way. And so that's why I asked, because again, I thought it was the wrong decision, a rule decision from Watsi to see you guys um, continue that line. You know, as a player, as a DM, kind of bothers me as well. But I do definitely understand your point of view. The perspective of the development of this book is that you're not trying to break down what Watsi did and rebuild a new vision. You're trying to be a companion to what Watsi did and to give options that they didn't. And from that perspective, I completely appreciate the decisions you made and the inclusions that you did. And it's really only a small little bit like the feats that sort of rubbed me a little bit oddly, you know, um, as a choice. Yeah. And to, to be frank, at my own table, uh, it's not how I would run it. Mm -hmm. if, if it. If I were going to take my players to Anselm, to Kryn, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would run it as uh, they would have to go through the role-playing process yeah. 
And then at the end, we would do a level up into the level where they could select the fee. Yeah. That would be how I would do it at my table. But I definitely understand, you know, not every table is mine. Yeah. So we just have to do what we yeah. can to write the best we can for as many tables as possible. Yep. And it's a, it's a balancing act because if you think about it, Watsi put out two, right? And then you have all these other backgrounds that are written a totally different way. And yeah. so that's so few choices. So another reason we wanted to do this was to say at least we're doubling the choices if you do want to go that route. But you can use just part of it, all of it. You can manipulate it how, how you want to do it. Um, as you said, that should be the exception. And, you know, we do need to, to be fifth edition throughout the book, but but we're we're happy when people take just what they want and use it however they like, even if it's for OSR or some other edition even. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's always difficult because first of all, us, we're all KG role players. <laughs> you know, we love what we love and we shun what we don't love, generally speaking. Um, and, you know, in the internet age, it's, I feel so old saying that in, you know, social media is pervasive in everyone's lives. Seemingly you hear, you know, voices that normally it just sort of kept to themselves or to their friends and, you know, their, their close knit families. Now it's just broadcasted out to the greater world large saying this can't stand. We must change. Ah, and, you know, <laughs> freaking out over the littlest things in most, most cases. So, yeah, I'm one of those people that's sort of shouting at the heavens, shaking my fist, telling people to get off my lawn about it. But then, to be fair, I don't really play for the edition that much at all. So I should not be the barrier that people, you know, the, the ruler that people use to measure, you know, what's good or bad. I, I like what you said there, Matt. You can't speak to everyone's table. Everyone's table is not like yours. And so you have to present options so people can use them as they see fit. But the options you provide are ones that I would not have considered initially in some of the cases. And I, I'm glad that you offered them because, again, if I didn't consider it, I couldn't have included it. You considered it. You included it. Now I get to include it. And so that's yeah. another aspect of it I like. And and the, the big secret is that not every piece of content is going to fit at every table. Yeah. There are things that have been published in the, the Splitterverse books that are not allowed at my table because they conflict with the way that I run my games. And that's fine. Yeah. The goal is to provide a good amount of content that can make the game better for people. Mm -hmm. And whatever is going to do that that's what should be put in the games. Yeah. Well, I think you all did a great job of that, to be honest. Thank you. Um, so you also included a bunch of beasts, a bunch of monsters, <laughs> a bunch of creatures <laughs> to, to run across, fight, or run away from, which I always liked. There's a particular image of a particular amphidragon that I feel like should be wearing a smoking jacket and maybe holding a pipe. <laughs> it is the most adorable amphidragon I've ever seen. I don't know if it was intentionally trying to be like that, but what you have throughout this book sort a of sly smile. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like I want a pet amphidragon that looks exactly like that. Um, what I love what you did about this is you you broke up your sections with full page pieces of art. 
as an artist myself, I genuinely appreciate the amount of art that you have in this volume. It's not just text and numbers. You actually like took care to have, you know, some sort of visual representation of, of nearly everything that's in here. But that's also part of a point of contention that I have. Again, old man sitting on his porch saying, get off the lawn. You have a tiefling in here for one of the, the classes. I gotta ask, what was the choice there? Do you want me to take this one, Jimmy? Yeah, go ahead. We, we both, <laughs> right we both know the answer, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because we, we have these conversations. And whenever uh, I originally uh, was looking at the art, because Jimmy will show me art as it comes in, my thought was, oh, that's spicy. That's going to be the, the spiciest thing that we may have in the entire book. Uh, because tieflings only started existing in fourth edition uh but i didn't say anything against it and the reason that i didn't say anything against it was i knew watsi was going to do spelljammer mm -hmm. and spelljammer allows a back door for if dms want to allow it to have any race be in any set yeah any setting that's connected to spelljammer i should specify right uh so that that was the reason why i didn't raise a red flag on it because i knew people would talk about it mm -hmm. i knew there might be some complaints about it too but the the big thing is especially when we saw how spelljammer came out this is another point where we're rhyming with Watsi. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is an entire, I, I can't remember offhand, so please do correct me if I'm wrong on that, but uh, the Shadow of the Dragon Queen has a section on races appearing in Kryn that aren't normally in Kryn. Yeah, it talks about them maybe being from before the cataclysm or that maybe they, they came through a portal or things like that. I mean, yes, it's kind of like a, a conversation starter to have this piece. I think um, it, it's really up to the DM. I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're not necessarily playing the art, right? You're playing the mechanics, you're playing the, the, the character, right? So it was kind of like, we just wanted to say, hey, maybe, maybe you'd have this, but also we feel it's important that when we create a book, that although we're giving you a lot of lore for that setting, we don't want you to feel restricted that you can't play these subclasses in a totally different setting. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you. Yeah, you might have to tweak it slightly, but you know, when we did our Feywild companion, all of the all of the lore for the subclasses had a little bit of Fey to it, right? But you could take it out of the Feywild and play it in some desert setting or some uh, else, you know, Greyhawk, wherever, yeah. and and you'd be fine. So it's another way of saying, hey, maybe this isn't just for Dragonlance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I do also love the idea of, you know, you had mentioned it early on about how you, uh, as a company, put your books out, and, and you mentioned inclusive. And, and I think ultimately it comes down to what the players in the DM want to represent the game as, and, you know, having the option available just lets you know that, okay, it, it's there. Like, if, if that's the direction you want to go, that's fine. And the, the piece of art is beautiful, and so you can't really complain about that. Personally, I would never allow them in my campaign, but then 
that's just my campaign, you know, and that's it. Uh, I know a lot of Dragonlance fans, even different organizations that support Dragonlance are, are include, you know, them uh, in them as well. And there's also like a, like an angelic version that I'm not familiar with yet, but um, that is also like that type of a character that they would also let in. So, you know, to each their own in those cases, well, in every case in life, to each their own as long as no one's hurt. <laughs> well, but yeah. yeah, I mean, just ultimately, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, and that's really at the heart of what I was uh, initially um, bringing up, you know, how do you maintain the sense of Dragonlance uh, when you're creating a product about Dragonlance? Because again, everyone has different sensibilities. Uh, even though Dragonlance was never formally created as a campaign setting for fourth edition, I played it in fourth edition with fourth edition mechanics because I love this setting. So, you know, it, it's not always going to be a one-to-one -one ratio of, well, the game mechanics work perfectly with how I happen to understand or like Dragonlance to operate. So then you have to homebrew stuff or just play a different edition. And so that's, that's sort of my MO, <laughs> you know, answer. To yeah. I think, I think if this was just an adventure book, it would be harder because we would have to make sure that every single part of it was, willing to be used that people were happy to use it mm -hmm. but because it's it's more of a supplement where you can pick and choose pieces to 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 work for your table mm -hmm. we, we we tried to represent all the different ages of kren not just the age of mortals and the war of the lands and all of that i mean it's heavy on that but there's there's a little bit of representation for all the different ages in here because we don't know we don't know what age you're going to set your campaign in yep. and we didn't want to leave leave it out of the question for you to maybe set something during the age of dreams or whatever whatever you want i love that yeah. part of it too i love the fact that again it goes back to that river of time section um but like the fact that most people think about the age of despair the war of the lance when they think about dragon lance i th personally think you know the the dragon overlord portion of the age of mortals wasn't the best but i didn't really mind it because it's Dragonlance, but after that, after War of Souls, I thought it, you could literally do anything you want here. You can have sorcerers, you can oh, have yeah. warlocks, you can have tieflings, you can have anything. Because yeah. that, at that point in the, the era, it's, it's very open. I thought that would be the best choice for Watsi to go. Um, but then also, you know, going all the way back to the Age of Dreams, the Age of Might. I mean, there's some great ages of Kryn that are completely open to not just exploration, but also how you want to run them. You know, it's com oh, yeah. like the age of dreams. You can literally do anything you want. It doesn't matter. Just have some fun with it. I mean, th there's some. Think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was going to say, I think if I were uh, choosing a part that I would want to run with my group, it would probably be set right before the cataclysm. Oh, yeah. That's I think that <laughs> because I, I love good <laughs> villains, like good yeah. aligned villains are my 100% cup of tea. Uh, so having that kind of dichotomy to play with, I yeah. think would be excellent. So there, there's tons of stuff and this, this is a toolbox mm -hmm. that that's what it comes down to. It's a toolbox that has a lot of tools that, you know, can make, uh, Dragonlance campaigns more memorable. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Um, is there a, a sort of a game mechanics, uh, uh, I don't know, like a sort of rule of thumb that y'all uh, uh, follow when it comes to 
you know, for example, um, the the nightly orders of, of getting a feat and you go up to the next order or, um, you know, you guys offer a, a class of fighter called the Fewmaster where if, you, if you're sort of stepping back and looking at the structure of the Dragon Armies, a Fewmaster is a position given, not a class, so to speak. And so when, when you're presented with an option like the Fewmaster, it's similar to saying, okay, well, the, the class is going to be called a captain. You know, I mean, it's, it's rank held. It's not really a, a class unto itself. How do you sort of balance that idea of, well, it isn't a, a, a character trope in Dragonlance. It's a rank, not necessarily a class. If I give it certain powers or we present certain powers of that rank and it's now a class does it still hold up to that spirit of what it was supposed to be representing in the first place? Um, this is one of those that I, I sort of pulled out where I was sort of flabbergasted because you should be, in my worldview, you should be able to be any class. I mean, Eric is was a, a, a sorcerer, you know? I mean, he's sort of, he's in charge of all of the dragon armies. Um, Verminard was a cleric and he was in charge of the Red Wing. So you could be literally any class and be presented as a Fewmaster or as a Dragon Highlord. Why, why choose that one specific one to say, no, 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 this one's a class? Well, I think we could have done a book of Fewmaster, all of them, right? Um, and we, we just had to pick one where we could, we could show it show it to the audience. I think if you think of this more of like the Fewmaster fighter, um, but you could certainly make a Fewmaster sorcerer or any of these, and maybe even use some of the lore tables that we we include. It's just where it, it surfaced and it seemed to fit. But yeah, by no means, we're, we're, we're not saying that you have to be a fighter to be a Fewmaster. It just was a way to weave it in because you also have to think about how do you talk about subclasses in the game? Are you openly saying, you know, I am a College of Ages bard, you know, is it is it words you actually use or not? Right. So there, there's just so many ways of, of relating to it. I mean, there's sort of the meta of talking about it of I'm a fighter that's a few master and, you know, all of these things. But then there's also how do I speak about it in the game? So, again, it's these are choices that the players and DMs have to make. But yes, I mean, I could see a few master be all these things and maybe repurpose some of the lore tables that we've included and then just have different mechanics for the features. Yeah. Yeah, just when I was reading it, it struck me um, similar to the, the problems that I encountered as a dungeon master playing Star Wars Saga Edition with a character who chose to be a crime boss. As a player, you just choose to be a crime boss. You're like, well, how am I going to weave this into like a character story arc? And like, you just start out as a crime boss. That's just that's illogical. Yeah. You know, like to start out as a, you know, someone of rank. It's like, well, you, you kind of got to earn it, don't you? And so that that struck out in my head. Like, huh? Okay. Um, and then of course you you offer so many different examples of of uh, not just classes. And, you know, world options in this, which I think are just stunning. Some of them don't really resonate, as I've already mentioned with me personally. But I love that you did, in fact, include them because they may resonate with other people. And clearly they resonated with the game designers. And that is arguably one of the most important aspects of it. Because creativity is not always from a vacuum. It's usually borrowed equity from someone else's aspect of creativity. And you're just sort of weaving it in a new, different way. 
especially when you're talking about an established IP like Dragomet. So um, really, hats off to you guys. You, you all did a wonderful job putting this together, and it's showing in just the sales figures on DMs Guild, and I don't want to distill this down to business sense or anything like that, but, you know, you nailed what the essence of Dragonlance needs to be in a fifth edition supplement where Watsy literally just gave us a little taste and then walked away. You sort of picked that ball up rather than trying to change the structure of the mechanics, you enhanced them and added to them in a very positive way, which I think, especially in, it seems sometimes like our culture as humans is sort of going in a negative way, it's nice to see it added in a positive way that actually opens doors rather than slams them shut. Um, and I really do appreciate that as a player. So thank you guys for putting this out. Oh, you're welcome. Our pleasure. So where can people find you out there on the internet? Where, where can they connect with your other projects or, or maybe with this one uh, online? Yeah, so we have Splinterverse.com, which has all the books and everything that we're up to. And I'm at Splinterverse everywhere. But uh, Matt is also available on Twitch, so yeah. probably plug that. Yeah, where can they find you on Twitch? Uh, I am everywhere at Synthetic Twenty or Synthetic Twenty TTV, okay. uh, and I do my own TTRPG projects as well. Oh, cool. Uh, Jimmy is a, a wonderful partner, uh, but if you want to keep up with the stuff that i'm doing synthetic 20 ttv on uh twitch and twitter is the best place to find me awesome well thank you both again very much for your time and uh for coming on the show and talking about this project i do think uh, again genuinely you know just the, the candor of the back and forth of what i may not happen to like versus you know what you all included in this um it's it's still worth you know, the money that, uh, you know, to put down to, to pick this volume up, because even if there's one tiny little thing that you may not resonate with, there's tons of other stuff that you absolutely will resonate with it. So I do uh, suggest that everyone watching this, give it a shot, go take a look, see what options are available, because there's a lot of them, and they're probably going to just make your games better with what's presented. Thank you all again. Uh, that is going to do it for our conversation here about Dragonlance Companion. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in live. I know we didn't uh, bounce off of you guys very much, but uh, it's nice to see that you're sort of chatting amongst each other and having a good time during the course of this conversation. Um, let us know in the chats or in the comments if you have checked this out already or if you're going to. Ultimately, when it comes to Dragonlance, more is always better. <laughs> always better because you can always pick and choose from any sources so uh let us know what you think about all of this and then go you know reach out to splinterverse media and and let them know what you think and uh you know if you have anything to submit maybe you can actually submit it to them and see if they like it it's always an option right absolutely well, um keep in mind everyone this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the dragon that saga thank you all so much for joining that celebration until next time slanjavar